Well, good morning. Greetings to you all, all of you, as we get to, uh, we gather in the name of Jesus Christ. We gather uh, to worship our God and King and uh, to adore Him. Uh, for those of you that might not know who I am or just tuning in and you're, you're like, that doesn't look like Trent, you're right. Uh, my name is Doug Baker. I'm one of the pastors here at Community, and uh, I get to talk about the third letter to the church in uh, uh, the churches in Revelation. The letters that Jesus wrote to the churches, uh, we're on level uh, letter three at this point. Um, we've been spending some time uh, unpacking what Jesus has to say to the church, uh, the church in the world. It's a, quite an astounding thing uh, to, to have our Savior from the throne room of God speaking to the church, not just calling one person, not just talking to Saul and saying, hey, stop persecuting me, not just uh, referencing some cool things that he's got going on or some true things that he has for a particular group, but he is talking to the church. If you've got a red letter edition Bible, these words and these letters are in red. This is Jesus speaking, and he's been talking to the church, not just, I mean, it is just churches in particular areas that are particular moment in time, but also to the church in general. And what he's been saying to us are these things. Hey, number one, folks, I know life can get really busy. Don't forget your first love. Number two, sometimes it gets dark and life gets thorny, but take heart. God is with you and he's probably teaching you a new song. So here is a third letter, a letter to a church in a town called Pergamum. What is God going to be saying to them? What is he saying to us this morning? I invite you to open your Bibles if you've got them. Uh, if not, uh, the words should be on the screen. And even if that's not the case, listen to this. This is Jesus' words for us, church, from Revelation chapter two. To the angel of the church in Pergamum, write. These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. That means the truth, the capital T, truth. I know where you live. It's where Satan has his throne. And yet, you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Again, with the truth, capital T, truth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Grass withers, flowers fade, the word of God endures forever. Heavenly Father, we turn our attention to you, to your word, to the truth, capital T, truth. And that's what we're yearning for. It's, it's something that ministers to our hearts and our souls. It lifts us up. It challenges us. 
into greatness. So speak this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well now, let's just take a couple of moments and get our bearings, all right? Uh, Pergamum, that's not really a name we hear all too often. It's not one that we name our kids. Where is that? I have a map. Pergamum is one of the seven uh, churches in Asia Minor. It is in what we now call Turkey. Um, this is an area that uh, the bottom of it is kind of the border of the Mediterranean and the western edge is the border of the Aegean Sea. Pergamum is the northernmost of the cities that Jesus is writing to and uh, it is about 15 miles inland from the Aegean. Pergamum is a wealthy city with many religions. There are many gods worshiped there. You name it, the God was worshiped there. And this is not uncommon. This is the kind of the, the way that it is in the world at that time. Uh, people are coming from all over the place. They're bringing all of their culture. They're bringing all of their traditions. Rome has conquered much of the known world. And so everybody and anybody in the known world is basically Roman. So they're moving around inside. They're building roads. It's, it's flexible. And so you've got a plethora of options when it comes to what you want to do religion-wise. That makes them absolutely normal. Pergamum is a normal city when it comes to religious stuff. Now, one way they are unique is they're not only religious, but they're quite educated as a city. They have the second largest library in Pergamum in the ancient world. It 200,000 texts. Now, I know that doesn't mean much to us who live in a digital world where there, you know, you, you Google like two words and you'll get 50 billion uh, hits, right? And you can scroll through those pages for days. Back in this time, this is before the printing press. This is when everything was copied by hand on scrolls. They didn't even bind things yet. 200,000 texts. So Pergamum is somewhat unique in the area of the world at this time. The church in Pergamum had been experiencing something that we've already heard of. Just like in Smyrna, they had been experiencing persecution, violence against believers in Jesus. We know this because there was a guy named Antipas, a member of the church there who was put to death. We don't know who Antipas was. We don't know what his role was. All we know, because Jesus tells us, he was killed. So there was violence, there was persecution, something was going on. But much like in Smyrna, the church in Pergamum was not crumbling underneath this pressure, underneath the threat of death. They were holding firm, they were, they were standing strong. Now, if you're trying to cut something out, if you're trying to get rid of something because you don't like it, you've got a few options. The enemy wants to get rid of the church in Pergamum. The enemy's got some options. First thing you can do is you can like threaten it, you know? We, we as parents have leaned on this one with our kids. Stop it or else. Or else what? See, no kid asks that. All you have to do is or else. And like, I don't know what or else is, but I'm stopping. Like, right, the threat, the, the, the dun, dun, dun. It works. It wasn't working in Pergamum. So what are your other options? What else can you do? Well, one thing that you can do if you're, if you're sneaky enough, if you can, can kind of think this way, is you can, uh, 
You can get into people's heads. You can get into their hearts. You can influence them with subtle gradual shifts so that they turn their allegiance, they turn their connections, what they're connected to, who they're connected to, to other things, to other people, the things that don't hold up to the standards that they initially say they believe in. Warp their perspective and you will change their hearts. That takes a little more time, but oh, it is just as effective. I mean, we know this, again, as parents, we wonder and worry about who our kids hang out with. If they're in the wrong crowd, we're worried about what our kids are gonna start thinking and doing. They come home and they're like, uh, oh, those aren't my cigarettes, I'm holding them for somebody else, right? It's sneakier, but it's another way to influence things. If the church can't be convinced, uh, if the church can't be uh, squished, convince them to to connect with something other than the throne of Christ, you know, like, like the throne of Satan, which Jesus says twice is in Pergamum. Get them, get them to think differently about who they are and what matters. And I promise you, things will crumble just as badly, just as thoroughly as the churches that succumb to the threat of violence. That's what's happening in Pergamum, that sneaky thing. We know this because of the two examples that, uh, that Jesus is saying. He brings them out into the open. Uh, he addresses them because they need to be addressed. And the first of which is some in the church were following the teachings of Balaam. Uh, who is that? Is there a guy named Balaam in Pergamum wandering around teaching weird things? No, no, actually, this, uh, this goes back a long time, hundreds of years. Uh, Balaam is a guy from the Old Testament. We find him in the book of Numbers. Uh, he was a prophet of God's people, but he was kind of a prophet for hire. Um, and then there was this uh, nasty king at that time, a guy named by, uh, by the name of Balak, who, um, who tries to, uh, uh, I don't know, Here's a retainer. Like he tries to hire uh, Balaam to curse God's people. And Balaam's like, all right, no problem. And uh, he goes and asks God. I mean, he's a prophet of God. So he goes and asks God, uh, God, uh, is it okay if I curse your people? And God says, no. So Balaam's like, oh. So he goes back. He's like, dude, I can't take your money. Unless, let's think of something different. What if instead of I curse God's people, because I'm not allowed to, what if instead... We, uh, we convince them to compromise on their principles so they end up like cursing themselves. I mean, what, what, if, what if instead uh, we, we get them to intertwine the lives of holy people with the way of life of the world around them? So then pretty soon you can't tell the difference between holy people and, and, and everything and anything else. See, then they're not holy anymore because the word holy means set apart according to God's standards. So we kind of get things all mixed up. Blog's like, I'll give you money for that. So that's what they do. You start, you know, hey, look at all that cool stuff over there that everybody else has. You don't have that. Don't you want that? It's pretty cool stuff. And, and look, at, look at all the cool things that they have and they get to do and, and, and they get to say and look what they're getting away with. It's not fair that you don't get away with that. Don't you want to be able to get away with that too? Yeah, yeah. And, and if, I mean, if you want to get along with them, you kind of got to go along with them. I mean, you don't, you don't want them to think you're all judgy. 
And so the people did. They, they, they adopted the ways of the people around them. And, and that is the teaching of Balaam. Just, just go with the flow. It, it, we, 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 we're, we're here. We should have the same benefits as anyone else. We, well, what does that mean to be different and set apart? And, and, and it, it, is it really a compromise as long as we don't cause a kerfuffle? That's a fun word. Kerfuffle. That one's for you, Mary. And in Pergamum, that's what was happening. People, the church, in, the people in the church, their, their lives didn't look any different than anyone else's in the city. It didn't matter if you followed Zeus or Baal or, or if you had no gods at all or if you were Christians, you, no one could tell that you were any different. You, everybody treated people the same. They, uh, uh, they lived the same kind of ways. They used the same kind of language. They made the same kind uh, of compromises, which is not what Christ intended when he called them to be disciples, when he called them to be salt and light. He, he said, you're supposed to stand out as bright and beautiful. You're supposed to be tasty and true. That's one of those aspects of salt. Salt isn't just a stingy. It's also, mmm, you want salt in your stuff. Salt and light is the church. And these are the teaching, this, this compromise, this, that's the teaching of Balaam. It's not the only one, though. There was a second one that he addressed. Uh, it's the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Um, this is the second time we hear uh, of this mention, this heresy in, in these letters. First happened in Ephesus, and now it's happening again in, in, in Pergamum. Um, now, here's what's complicated. This isn't based on some Old Testament dude and, and, and how he got people whacked out. Uh, this seems to be more of a contemporary presence, and it, it, it lasted only as long as, as what happened in those churches because we don't really have a historical record of this teaching or what it was. Um, we've got some good guesses. Uh, there are some early church fathers who wrote alluding to it and so we kind of extrapolate meaning but we don't know for sure what the teaching of the Nicolaitans was. Um, you heard Pastor Trent sharing uh, one of the most prominent theories that, that uh, if you're uh, free in Christ, you are completely free. And that means that your freedom uh, means you're kind of free from God too in some ways. And, and you should take that freedom and you should live it to its absolute extreme, which means that if you're called to love somebody, you should love them all the way. Like even as much as physically the same as married people. Go, just go the distance. That's kind of the most common, most popular theory of what the Nicolaitans uh, uh, believed and where the church had fallen into. Um, we don't really know fully, um, but here's what we do know. Um, Jesus said it was bad. So what are we supposed to get from this? I mean, what does this mean to us? Um, what we're finding here as Jesus is talking to the church in Pergamum is that these teachings, these heresies, these, these loss of perspectives have snuck into the church, snuck into some of the hearts of the people. Now, I don't, I don't believe, I don't think that what Jesus is saying is meant to be just this lesson against these two false teachings. Like somehow uh, Balaamites and Nicolaitans are like the worst heresies. Those are the ones to avoid. And as long as you're not doing that, everything else is okay. Um, I think what he's trying to point out is actually something fairly similar to what he was saying to the church in Ephesus. Folks, you've, you've forsaken your first love. 
I think at the core of what these teachings embody, it's so much less than whether it came from Balaam or Nicholas. And it's so much, it's, what they embody is so much more than, than infidelity or permissiveness or being all judgy. I think at the core of what these teachings, these heresies represent is that God's people are choosing to measure who they are based on how they compare themselves with other people instead of asking what Jesus is saying is true of them. As if, as if somehow identity is, is looking at someone else and seeing what is true of them and then using that criteria to decide how I'm supposed to act or think or believe. When I think, uh, I, I talk to somebody and I hear the things that they believe and I think, well, I, I don't want to seem weird to them so maybe I should believe what they believe or, or I look at someone else first and then I think, oh, what do they have or what can they do? What can they say? What are their uh, experiences? And I, I, really, I really should have the same thing as them because uh, I don't want to be all alone or, or how smart are they? Like, do, are they demonstrating super like awesome intelligence? I, I probably should agree with them so I don't seem dumb or, or or how free in Christ do they seem? Maybe, maybe I should just do what it takes to be like them. And what that means is, is, is that approach, it's, what's happening is the God's people are forgetting that the only identity that actually matters for a disciple of Jesus Christ is the identity that Jesus himself tells us we have. That's it. That's who we are. That's the right he bought with his blood. That as disciples of Jesus Christ, he is the one that articulates the boundaries of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and we adhere to them or we're not disciples of Jesus Christ. That when he says these two things matter most, love God and then love people, when we compromise on either of those, we compromise on our identity. We don't just commit a sin act, we relinquish who we are. And that happens in the inverses. It's not just about boundaries and rules and, and, and what we're, it also is about the capabilities we have in him. When we sell ourselves short in Jesus Christ, we are also relinquishing our identity. When we forget the power that he has given us, the authority that he has given us, the, the, the uh, ability and purpose that he has given us to do far more than we could ever imagine according to his will. When those things drop off our radar, We've stopped measuring ourselves according to Jesus Christ alone. The church in Pergamum was experiencing that. And yeah, it was admirable that they could stand up under the face, up in the face of oppression and the, 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 the danger of violence, but they had still fallen because they were relinquishing who Jesus had said they could be. The church anywhere loses perspective when we take our eyes off of him. Which is this wonderful moment that actually literally happened during Jesus' life and ministry. Tom, this is gonna sound familiar. Listen to this. Then Peter got up out of the boat, walked on the water, 
and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and sank. His perspective shifted from the one who was supposed to be giving him his identity, shifted to the wind and the waves. And I promise you, in comparison to a storm, you're always going to lose. But with Jesus, he could walk on water. It says in Psalm 123, I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sit enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of a servant look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maiden looks to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he shows us his mercy. Now this is an encouragement, it's also a challenge because what that means is, is to keep our eyes on him means that anything else that's going on, anything else that could be distracting, anything else that could kind of want to get in the way needs to be ignored as long as God continues to be the central focus. And we're gonna keep our eyes on him no matter how the wind and the waves might be swirling around us and they're gonna be loud and raucous and they're gonna want our attention and sometimes we're gonna be buffeted kind of back and forth and we're not gonna know what to do. We're not going to take our eyes off of him until he shows us his mercy is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. We don't know who we are. We don't have an identity when we're comparing ourselves with other people, not one that matters, not one that will last for eternity. It's the wrong standard. It's inherently flawed. If you've got, if you've got a broken toy that you're trying to fix for your kid, and you're like, I, I, I've never heard of a transformer, but okay. And you're like, I don't know, I, I guess I'm supposed to make this into, it's supposed to transform, it's supposed to be able to transform into something, like, a, a, I don't know, a pizza maker or something like that. And all you've got for examples are other broken toys. You're never gonna get it. The only example to fix a toy is if you've got a fixed toy, the right toy, the righteous toy, the one that is perfect. All right, so good stuff, lots of things going on. So how, how, how do we do this? Like, how do we actually live this out? And how do we know whether or not we're, we're, we're keeping our eyes where they're supposed to be? How can we apply a concept like this to the day-to-day -day aspects of our life right now? How can I know, what if I am some in the church who, who have lost perspective and I'm identifying with created things instead of who I am in Christ alone? Well, let me just share with you an example from my own life. It's fairly recent, um, this example, um, and it's, uh, it's fairly contemporary with what's going on. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. Maybe this is the first, thing, the first time you've heard of this, but, um, but there's a pandemic going on. I know. It's insane. Like, nobody told me. And I'm a pretty avid news watcher, or at least I used to be. And they just started talking about this thing all the time. And there's a lot of stuff that they're saying. And, and if you watch different news, some people are saying things that these people don't agree with. Some people over here are saying things that these people don't agree with. And they are both really, really passionate about it. 
And I, over the course of the last several months, I found myself like, my attitude toward other people was starting to get like gross. Uh, I, was, I was starting to get judgmental and critical and angry and, and I was kind of getting a little bit depressed. And I'm like, wow, this thing's really big. And then it occurred to me, is it possible that some of what's going on in my heart has more to do with what I'm feeding my brain and my heart from news than what's actually going on? Because I feel good. Everybody I know is feeling good. And we're getting to do great ministry. And, and the church is strong. I mean, we've, we've had the ability as a church in the middle of a huge worldwide crisis to keep every one of our staff employed and working for the kingdom of God. So why am I experiencing this? That's a technical term. So I stop watching the news. I feel so much better. Now, I'm not saying the news is bad. I'm not judging the news. There, there's a, there's a, we, we need a place to get information. But for me, it was tearing me apart. And I was, so Pastor Greg and I were talking about the sermon today. And I was mentioning that I was going to share that. And he goes, oh, same thing happened to me. Six weeks ago, I had to stop watching the news because I, I just wasn't feeling. It just was tearing me down. And, and since then, he says, I've had more peace. I, I've been able to be calm in the middle of other circumstances that are hard to deal with. And, 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 and I've had more energy for, for things that matter for eternity. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who are like, oh, I'm so glad I got off social media. Not that those things are inherently bad, but we need to pay attention to what we're feeding on, what we're consuming, because it matters. It bears fruit. Those things bear fruit. We're supposed to cut ties with the things that corrupt our perspective. We're supposed to cut ties with the things that obscure our connection to Jesus Christ. How do we know if we're connected to Jesus Christ? We will bear the fruit of being connected to Jesus Christ. So how about something as practical as this? If you notice your patience is going down, ask the question, where's the input that's getting in between me and the patience that Jesus has for me? If you notice that your kindness or your gentleness is decreasing, it's probably that there's a perspective problem being fed to us. What if your joy or your peace level is struggling? It's probably because we're not plugged in where we should be or we need to find the source of what's corrupting our connection with Christ and stop it. The fruit of the Spirit isn't just some nice quotable verse that we stencil on the wall of our kitchen or our bedrooms. This is a measuring device so we know whether or not we are standing in alignment with Jesus Christ. And it's not just about cutting stuff out. It also matters with who we identify. Now, I told you, we're not supposed to, uh, we're not supposed to see our identity in other people. But I tell you what, the Jesus in other people can definitely feed us. Just a little bit ago, I used the word kerfuffle and then I gave a shout out to a friend, Mary. I have a good friend, Mary, and every time I spend time with her, my soul is elevated. She is just a dear, dear friend in Jesus Christ. She is a woman of grace and compassion and kindness and laughter. She likes to laugh. She's, 
She laughed at kerfuffle, I promise you. When I'm around people who reflect humble service to Christ our King, when I spend time with people who are compassionate and unconditionally loving, who are bold in what God calls them to do and don't get spun up when life throws them chaos, I am influenced by the presence of the Holy Spirit in them and I get to keep perspective about myself and who I am in Christ. And that's what it means to be victorious like Jesus is saying at the end of this letter. Don't miss this. In every single one of these letters, there's a promise to those who are victorious. Pay attention. It'll happen every time. And in this letter, he's saying to those who are victorious, for those who keep the right perspective and stay connected with what Jesus says is important, guess what you get? Hidden manna, the bread of life. Guess what else you get? You get a white stone with a new name on it given to you by Jesus. He will tell you who you are in him. And you get that. You get to be a new creation. Because only he gets to tell us who we are and what lies in our future. It is his image we look to so we can finally understand what is true about ourselves, what we're capable of, and what we're called to. Only through him do we get a new name. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, Alpha and Omega, you are the beginning and the end. And there's nothing that we want more. Like we might forget it sometimes, but there's nothing we want more than to be yours. Because when we're yours, there's nothing Nothing that we can't do that you have called us to. We could walk on water. We can fly on wings like eagles. We can soar to the highest of heavens. And we can stand in the midst of any chaos with our eyes firmly fixed on you. And we will not be shaken. For you are the rock on which we stand. Help us to find that footing. Help us to be faithful so that you might receive the glory and so that people might get to know just how loving God our Father is. In your precious name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. This is usually the part where the pastor puts his hands up and gives the benediction. Uh, but I don't know if you realize this, but church, you just benedicted all over yourselves. <laughs> And so, he is for you, and he's with you. And all of God's people said, amen.